Hello, thank you for joining us. We are proud to welcome you to our special series, Quality Education, brought to you by Brill, where we talk about improving our current education systems for the radically changing 21st century global society. I'm your host, Lee Jung Greco. Today, we're speaking with Susanna Gonsalza. She's a professor of psychology and education at Polytechnic of Coimbra in Portugal. Her main fields are intercultural education and art. And we're speaking with Suzanne Majanovic. She's a retired professor from the University of Western Ontario, where she served on the Faculty of Education. Her specialty is international education and first and second language acquisition. Their book is Pandemic Disruption and Adjustment in Higher Education. It publishes this spring. Thank you so much to you both for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Lee. So your introduction states the quote, the hedonism that has characterized the new generation makes us think that these students will increasingly prefer classes that provide them with immediate satisfaction rather than traditional learning contexts that were slower, quote. So I'm just wondering, is this a fair characterization of Gen Z, given that young people in the 1920s, 60s, 70s, and other generations were also described as hedonistic? Um, And if young people today aren't unique in that respect, then what unique challenges do they pose to universities and educators? Uh, Well, um, this generation, uh, the Gen Z, they were raised during a period of abundance and mass consumption. Um, The idea that having more is better is still typical. And for youngsters, they believe that all your wishes can be um, immediately satisfied, prevails over some other social values. So in this way, they are similar to millennials. But in fact, there is uh, an idea, uh, research tells us that maybe they are less hedonistic than their predecessors. So what are their main characteristics? Of course, they are the result of uh, a historical period, and they also um, are people who live in a certain moment of history, having a certain age, which has an impact, of course. So their characteristics are now, they are more entrepreneur. Uh, With them, it's all about technology and also globalization. They were raised in times where technology is there in all the areas of our uh, life. So they can have access to information whenever they need it. And this makes them uh, look for immediate gratification. Uh, So this is one of the characteristics that also millennials have, which is uh, impatience. They need the answers immediately. They cannot uh, spend lots of time waiting for an answer. And this is the result of having access to easy, easily to information. Um, They are financially focused, so they won't 
to develop skills that will help them uh, have success in their professional lives. So they are looking for uh, knowledge information that is of practical use, that is relevant, that will help them achieve their, uh, their goals. In this way, they are more competitive than some other generations before them. They also seem to be more independent in terms of uh, opinions, uh, searching for uh, the, the things they, they need for uh, their lives, and they are more independent as learners. Um, yeah, so these characteristics make them special students when we think of our students in higher education nowadays. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Suzanne want, uh, wants to add something to these ideas. Um, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what Susanna is saying. And I think from the question, the, the operative term that we're looking at there is, uh, is this immediate satisfaction. And uh, technology uh, has made that... Uh, 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 a reality. And so, of course, the students do expect immediate satisfaction. And that proposes certain uh, challenges for higher education institutions, because um, you find when you're teaching courses online, for example, the students expect immediate responses. They expect the instructors to be uh, available 24-7. And this, this is stressful for instructors. Um, however, uh, I think we have to adjust and we are adjusting. And uh, another thing I'd like to mention is that we assume that this generation is very uh, media savvy and very technologically savvy, but that is not always the case. They're very good with social media and uh, communicating with their friends over social media and on their their smartphones, but they're not necessarily uh, uh, adept at uh, interacting in higher education uh, courses and classes. And so this too is an issue for higher education in that we need to be able to prepare them and help them so that they can take advantage of the courses that are now offered online. and. Um, uh, di di on digital uh, platforms. So that's uh, that's what I would have to say about this. And so on a related note, uh, as we're talking about maybe slower forms of education that Gen Z might be a little bit resistant to, uh, has the death of the lecture been greatly exaggerated? Um, I am not sure what we can say about that. In fact, lecturing has to do with the traditional way of communication, which is verbal communication in face-to-face -face situations. That's how we transmit our ideas, how we receive ideas from other people. Dialogue is made of these moments where we express our thoughts to other people. And lecturing has to do with this uh, natural and traditional way of communication. We are used to 
the, this situation when somebody who we uh, take as an authority in a certain subject tells us about information structure, organized information in such a way that we can understand it. So, um, yeah, I don't think lecture will uh, finish because of this relationship to the traditional modes of, of communication. But in fact, it was already different uh, before uh, the pandemic. Uh, lecture was um, changing with the uh, add of technologies like microphones, uh, PowerPoint, multimedia video, uh, some debate in between topics, uh, questioning. So all these methods can be combined in such a way that it makes the classroom lively uh, circumstance for teaching and learning. Uh, and many uh, lecturers already use these additional uh, methods to transmit ideas to the students. So no uh, lecture, like a monologue, one, two, three hours of a monologue, that will disappear, I'm sure, because these young generations cannot um, be paid patient to this, um, uh, this kind of communication. But uh, in the classroom, a mix of technologies, uh, methodologies, and lecturing can be uh, sustainable even with these uh, generation uh, uh, Z. Yeah, that, that is possible. Um, besides, when these young people, they like very much uh, video, like uh, YouTube as a, a medium for learning. They look for documentary and uh, uh, many uh, uh, film, video, to learn special things. Um, and many of these uh, videos that they find on YouTube are lectures, and they, they like it. But they also expect the lecturer to be somehow entertaining them. They expect a very professional way of communication. Um, and that is the thing, uh, lecturers need to develop this kind of uh, skills to be more uh, motivating, more entertaining, let's say, between coma, and uh, to uh, communicate the ideas in a way that uh, is more similar to what uh, students see in the television and um TikTok and the social networks that, yeah, yeah, I think that's something we need to, to, to learn how to be more motivated with our words and way of communication, our styles of communication. If I could just add, um, I, I think it, it, we'd have, uh, this issue comes up in our book and there was one chapter of, in, Indeed, called the death of the lecture, where the author <clears throat> in, indeed says, well, the lecture is actually the quintessential part of the university experience. But he uh, reminds us that it isn't just anymore the sage on the stage uh, transmitting uh, his or her uh, wisdom to a captive audience. But in fact, the lecture has already started to be adapted to uh, be more interactive and to include um, 
the the audience as well. And this, I think, is is needed. On the other hand, uh, some of our other authors remind us that uh, being a lecturer is part of the identity of many instructors. And so to shift from the person transmitting their wisdom to a, a knowledge facilitator uh, is a bit of a, a, a step for them to make and not an easy one. And so this is something that instructors are, some instructors anyway, are going to have to uh, uh, adjust their methods of delivery and uh, their their uh, image of themselves actually as uh, as instructors in this new uh, digital world of uh, education. I'm wondering, have any of the adjustments made by higher education administrations in the wake of the pandemic allowed humanities and applied sciences to maintain their integrity? What this crisis uh, teaches us, or reinforces at least the idea, is that we uh, humans are so creative. And we can always find solutions in order to get back to the, um, to the balance that we had before the crisis. So we are always looking for balance. And uh, I think we did that with our creative ideas, with uh, experiments, with um, different, with dialogue too among peers, uh, uh, all over the world, we were talking about the challenge, challenges posed by the pandemic and especially the lockdown and how to keep uh, teaching and learning uh, moving. And with these experiments, some of them failed, but many of them were really successful. We could maintain the integrity and, and of course, many things change. Uh, but, um, for instance, with the use of technologies, uh, these platforms for online teaching, even if it's emergency online teaching, um, we could uh, simulate situations that we are used to have uh, only in the classroom and in the campus. And now... Um, with the, these uh, platforms, we can we can discuss ideas. We can have, for instance, with Zoom, we have these simultaneous rooms, and there we can simulate the group work that we had in the classroom. So yeah, uh, many things can be done, even if we are uh, in this uh, moment of distance learning and trying to make it uh, easier possible and um, accomplish our goals. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that uh, uh, there are pluses and minuses to this. It's amazing uh, that, as Susanna noted, the, uh, uh, the, the way we've been able to adapt, use our imagination and our creativity to develop the, uh, the the technology so that we can simulate um, the uh, a more uh, immediate experience for people. However, I think 
that also shows that uh, people in the back of their mind are still thinking, well, this is what we're doing. Uh, but eventually we want to return to face to face. And I think that is why um, what probably will happen is a blended kind of, of uh, situation. And certainly for applied studies that require things like a practicum or uh, lab work and that sort of thing, uh, it can to a certain extent be achieved through virtual learning, but that's not always possible, nor is it uh, uh, available all over yet. So I think everybody is hoping that uh, we can return to some kind of blended learning where the parts of learning that require face-to-face on-hands experience will be possible, whereas uh, uh, other parts of learning that can be done very well digitally online will probably continue like that. So I think we're looking at a blended kind of uh, study in, in a, if, uh, for higher education in the future. So, I would also like to note that for humanities, it's interesting that changes were already being made, that uh, the, the what you call the flipped classroom in language studies, for example, is now becoming quite popular, so that instead of having the professor lecturing and presenting, and then the students going home and doing their exercises and practicing, now it's quite common that the professor's lecture is put online and the students look at that at home first and then come to class and are therefore given more time to actually practice their language, uh, discuss their issues with the professor. But that, as you see, includes a blended type of learning with both a digital part and a face-to-face part. So we can only hope that in future, we'll be able to return to something of that nature. So obviously, when we look at the pandemic, everyone's mental health, no matter what their profession, has really been hit by this. Um, How would you assess teachers' overall well-being during the pandemic? What to say about that? Um, This has been difficult times for everybody. And uh, we had Uh, to mix personal lives with professional lives with this online teaching. Um, Many teachers had to develop in a short space of uh, time, they had to develop skills that they didn't feel they were very, um, uh, they didn't have well developed, like with these technologies. So this is very stressful. And of course, the overall well-being will be reduced in such under such circumstances. So that happened to all professionals and of course to teachers as well. Uh, anyway, I think that even if burnout is, is um, uh, higher in certain professions like teachers than in other professions because of this continuous ex- exposure to other people. Teachers are working in front of other people, so if they fail, it will be noticed by many people. 
and burnout and high levels of stress are common among these professional this group of professionals the fact is that they also develop a certain kind of resilience uh, teachers are resilient and uh, they are i think creative it's a profession that demands you to be somehow creative to find solutions uh, innovative ways to deal with situations because because they are every day they are exposed to novelty and situations they had not lived beforehand so um stress has been there all the time fear uh disappointment um all these negative emotions and feelings have been accompanying uh, these professionals during this time but also some situations happened that helped survive let's say like um, cooperation among colleagues uh, i think we had more than ever meetings uh, online meetings where teachers were talking about their Uh, fears and uh, problems with the students and asking uh, for help in order to solve the problems they were facing and there was cooperation there was solidarity and this is really interesting phenomenon uh, after the first time especially uh, when we had the lockdown after the first times of um, uh, astonishment and uh, fear uh, there was a raise of um, solidarity communication and also the institutions higher edu- uh, the, the universities developed some um, let's say emergency services to help uh, not only students but also teachers in our book some some authors uh, mentioned that and this support was really important to to help teachers but it is possible that many um were uh, suffering from uh, uh, high levels of stress and uh, well of course it were difficult it it, are, it is now uh, difficult times and you have to adjust and uh, the crisis is there and you have to deal at the same time with many uncertainties and uh, problems to solve so um, yeah i would say that well-being and uh, mental health has suffered a lot in in these times yeah if i could just add uh, one of our chapters is called overall it was okay and i think that that sort of cap- captures the the well-being of uh, of the instructors and in that in in they survived um and interestingly enough uh, a lot of the stress and anxiety uh, that they experienced when courses first went online uh were because they were unfamiliar with using the technology and very unsure and frustrated when it didn't work and not sure if their students were actually there when they were supposed to be but as they gained skill with using the technology uh their well-being grew and of course this was uh, helped by these meetings support meetings with other uh 
colleagues and 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 that sort of thing. On the other hand, this new approach of uh, putting everything or most everything online has put uh, some positions in jeopardy because you maybe don't need as many instructors as you did before. So some um, have found that their positions have become precarious and that of course has contributed to their stress. I think students too have experienced anxiety at being at the isolation of, of being at home, not having peers. Uh, this generation uh, relies very heavily on their peers and and whether they can uh, maintain that support is uh, is uh, is a moot point right now. But I think that what universities uh, are doing, they're aware of this. And so they are putting in place support systems to support uh, faculty and students. And I know in my university, we keep getting these messages. If you feel you need to talk to somebody, please contact us. And, and so they do have teams of people in to kind of support when the anxiety gets too high. But certainly it's been a very stressful time, particularly for people working from home who possibly also have children going to school that they're monitoring their their children's at-home learning, uh, running their household, trying to uh, do their uh, usual job as instructors. So it has been um, very difficult to manage all this. And so uh, well-being has suffered. But in other ways, as you get used to it, people are um, adaptable. And so uh, they, as they get better at using the technologies and, and making use of the uh, uh, support systems that are available, I think their well-being starts to improve a little bit too. I guess if you can speak from your own experience um, as an educator, you mentioned, you know, colleagues getting those messages about if you need support, uh, are you finding that you or your colleagues are actually using any of those systems that are in place or are educators hesitant at all to use those? I'm not sure about what the culture is um, in the university system when it comes to mental health and, and asking for help or, or using the help that's already there. I think that... Uh... Usually, university teachers are sent to solve problems by themselves. This is a profession that uh, demands us to be somehow individualistic, not, not in terms of research, but uh, when it has to do with teaching, uh, many uh, university teachers uh, structure, organize, and decide on how to approach the curriculum by themselves. And we are not so used to uh, talk with colleagues about problems such as uh, difficulties in the classroom with students or problems of uh, discipline or um, uh, not, not understanding which uh, would be the best uh, method to approach a certain content. So decisions are made by ourselves. And under uh, um, a crisis, like this one, uh, we, we, we can fail more easily. We have more um, questions unanswered. 
And of course, talking to colleagues or asking for help would be natural, but it's not so natural for such a, a group of professionals. So, uh, yeah, so maybe many colleagues uh, kept the problems for themselves. But as I already mentioned, there was a kind of uh, solidarity movement among colleagues and a lot of discussion on how these uh, crises um, um, uh, brings or adds problems to our uh, work with students. And uh, solutions have been shared and ideas and problems. And maybe uh, professionals were not uh, became less uh, shy about uh, sharing their own problems. This is my my guess, uh, and and I'm talking also not only from what I from our book, but also from the experience with colleagues, not only in Portugal but in other groups I belong to, and we discussed a lot these kind of uh, similar problems and fears. Uh, yeah. Maybe for the first time in the history of university teaching, we discussed this very openly, this kind of uh, problems that teaching and learning poses to us. We accepted that we are fragile. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, would, I would like to add that, uh, you know, we are social beings. And I think uh, as, in, as uh, professors, well, I, for one, I enjoy being a part of a community of scholars where I can discuss with my peers issues. However, that doesn't necessarily uh, lead to discussion about particular problems I'm having with, with uh, technology or, or uh, uh, course delivery or something like that. So it's a kind of a mixed bag, but I think... Uh, that is why uh, the uh, higher institutions are are trying to offer support because they realize that uh, professors uh, and instructors they need to communicate they need they need to share their ideas and uh, so they have to offer the opportunity for them to do that and and I think they are they are trying to do that. Uh, without overwhelming us with too many Zoom meetings, which can be also very stressful overall. Well, thank you so much to you both uh, for sitting down with me today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for having us. Susanna Gonsalves and Suzanne Majanovic. Their book is Pandemic Disruption and Adjustment in Higher Education, it publishes this spring. You are listening to the Humanities Matter podcast. You can find more podcast episodes on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast.